Welcome back to Escaping Gilead. This is for the ninth episode of the fifth season of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. This one was called Allegiance. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Allegiance. I'll go with the obvious connection. The Pledge of Allegiance nice. is unsuccessfully said at the end of this episode. Gotta tell you, that scene was very moving for me. I am one of those people who gets very choked up when we like sing the national anthem or if we're all standing in a group doing like the pledge. I feel it in my guts, man. I'm, I'm very patriotic like that. For all the vile Canadians out there that may be listening. <gasps> And uh, I'm just borrowing <laughs> another reviewer's term there. Vile Canadian. I think I think he's Canadian is the joke there. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I mean, in reality, we all know Canadians are very polite people. So and whenever, very kind and loving. And we have very a lot of Canadian pals. So whenever we see them, you know, throwing rocks and spray painting yes. obscenities and stuff, it doesn't really jive with our own life experience. But we don't live in the world of The Handmaid's Tale, where apparently Canadians have rotted their souls. But I just wanted to let the vile Canadians know and other people from around the world that the Pledge of Allegiance is something that we say as Americans, as uh, school children in particular, at the beginning don't of every school day. This? No, don't I don't. People, I wouldn't take don't. that for granted. No, I would well, not. Well, what they probably don't know is that here in Texas, we not only say the American Pledge. But we say the Texas Pledge we do. as well. <laughs> Which is funny because Paul and I were both born here in Texas, but then we both moved away for a small period of time. And when we came back as a little bit older kids, all the other kids are like, honor the Texas flag. I'm like, do what? <laughs> Yeah, I because I, I didn't remember any no. of that. I didn't yeah. remember we do the Texas flag right after the the American flag. I still muff those words because no. it just didn't really sink in. I don't know them. <laughs> I think that's pretty simple. It's like honor the Texas flag to Texas. We pledge to thee. It's like it's like it's like I'm not even doing it right, y'all. Obviously, but it's like three three sentences. It's pretty simple. So for allegiance for me, I think there's a lot of torn feelings right now inside June specifically about. Luke and Nicole and her life and what's going on in Canada versus Hannah and Nick and the life that's going on over in Gilead. There's a whole lot of things between like Lawrence, do you go with him and New Bethlehem or is your allegiance to Mark Duello and like trying to get America going again? Very complicated stuff. And I think that there's a lot of confusing options here. I mean, I don't know who you believe or who you go with. On one hand, I mean, I think that Lawrence is, seems to be more capable in many respects. But also we all we discussed last episode. I mean, it all, it's all very, you know, the floor could fall out from under him at any given time. So it's like, well, do you go with him or do you go with Mark, who doesn't seem to have near as much actual oomph behind him to make things happen? Right. But at the same time, he's never he's never done you wrong, not on purpose. It's just his efforts seem always pretty fruitless. I mean, he represents the American government that we've seen. We haven't seen anybody else in that role. And we know that the American government constitutes a pretty small population and very small amount of power. Uh, I, don't, I don't even know what seat they they hold in the world anymore, given their much reduced stature. Point is allegiance, Paul. Allegiance. Where do you put your eggs, man? I mean, there's so much going on here. I know you want to start off with Serena because she's a little bit more compact and sort of like in her own little storyline. So yeah. let's jump off with Serena Joy versus the Wheelers. 
I hope you all went and looked up the Wheelers after I discussed the Return to Oz Wheelers because they're creepy and these Wheelers continue to be creepazoid. Serena's story really boils down for me to the question that we had leading off of last episode, which was how long would she bide her time with June's advice? And we knew, right, that, I mean, she's so much more impulsive and impatient. And there's so many less barriers, though. We discussed this a lot last episode about, like, you had all of Gilead that June was against versus Serena just had to get out of arm's reach of the wheelers, basically, figuratively. And, you know, literally, she obviously needed to stop getting slapped around by Mrs. Wheeler, but also she just needed to, like, get far enough away. Now, we can pick apart all the stuff that's going on with the Wheelers from the smack and from Mrs. Wheeler and, like, the fact that Serena actually went behind her back and went to go have a conversation with Mr. Wheeler. Do you remember, like, feel like any of that stuff seemed very June-similar? Well, June, like, 1.0 when she was thinking that she could outsmart her adversary with checkers moves, right? Well, I'll just go talk to Mr. Wheeler. She got to go to the center. What are you saying? Yeah, but she got slapped around because of it. Yeah, but that's just with the territory. Everybody's getting slapped around in this place, right? I wonder if that second slap was scripted because it seemed more like a surprise to her. Yeah, well, it also seemed like overkill. Like it's one thing to slap someone and, and unless you're going, unless you're smacking doing like the type where you like slap forward and then you do the back of your hand when you slap the other way, then just like one slap and then bringing it back and doing another slap, that really seems like a lot of slapping. <laughs> it does. It seems weird, but I don't know. I mean, but do you think that Serena was out of control, out of line, out of whatever in order to go down and talk to Mr. Wheeler? Or like, do you think that she was just trying to like buck that role so hard of like, I'm not going to stay in my lane as the handmaid. I'm not just a wet nurse here. Maybe either she was naive about bucking the chain of command, because if this house models itself after a Gilead house, then she should have known that going directly to the husband would have been like skipping over her direct line manager. But at the same time, she's above Mrs. Wheeler in the like hierarchy of Gilead. I mean, my most favorite part was when it was like when Mrs. Wheeler's like, who do you think you are? And she says, Mrs. Frederick Waterford. Step back two steps. That cachet didn't matter for anything here. It did because in that case, Wheeler was like, I'm going to come with you. But she didn't say go to your room. In that case, mm. like she wasn't going to like override and she wasn't going to override her husband's decision. That's the thing. She wasn't going to override his decision. Now, I want to talk about Serena in that office. And if you don't remember, glance down at your notes, because there was some back and forth between her and Wheeler. That was fascinating. She stands up for herself and totally says, hey, you know, I am the one who came up with the fertility clinic idea. And I was sent here in order to actually represent our success in Gilead, getting pregnant, having this healthy baby. So I need to be a part of this. His responses for everything are so like casual and like slang. Like when she she goes, praise be. And he goes, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it was like, oh my gosh. I still can't wrap my head around the wheelers or whatever this Canadian group of Gilead commander types. I can't really wrap my brain around it. Because he's obviously in for this stuff on some level. But then on another one, he, do he doesn't say praise be. He doesn't say may the Lord open or whatever. He doesn't say any of that stuff. Well, a maybe, a maybe, that's a word now. Oh, okay. Maybe. Oh, a maybe. How Lawrence admits that in order to find a group large enough 
and rabid enough to follow through with his idea for the overthrow of the country and all that, he had to rely on religious zealots, right? extremists, mm-hmm. in order to do that. And that was something that he regrets later because of all the bullshit that they had to tie into the government. That wasn't really part of his ideal. It was just he had to rely on that group because that's all that he could mobilize. So maybe Wheeler didn't fit with that ideology. He's down for the autocracy and all that other stuff, but, you know, praise be whatever. I don't care Mm. about that aspect. Maybe that's how he doesn't fit into Gilead proper. Well, in some weird way, too, I feel like the Wheelers are younger and I don't have a super good sense of how long Gilead's been going on at this point, which I know I should, but I don't have a good grasp on it anymore. But if you think about like they, they have a commander's meeting later or all the, all the commanders were walking around New Bethlehem and the previous ones, they're much older than what the wheelers look like. So, the, I mean, it might be a decade different. You know, he might be in his 40s where we're looking at Lawrence is like in his 60s, right? Yeah. So some of this, I feel like, is like next generation, you know, and they are always like, yeah, praise be like, Burr. like, it's kind of like when you see like, the, you know, the every once in a while Catholics come in and they don't exactly know how to genuflect or whatever. <laughs> it's like, it's like my parent my it's like my grandparents were Catholic, right? My parents like were Catholic light and like sent us ahead, right? Like they slept in, but like my sister and I went to church. And then when it comes to our own families, like we don't go to church now, you know, but when, but at, but when you fill out that medical form, it's like, what religion? I'm like, Catholic. Like, you know, <laughs> and it's like, okay. I feel like I'm like somewhere in there is like how Commander Wheeler fits in. He's like, I'm about Gilead. But like when Mrs. Wheeler says, he doesn't report to those commanders. Mm-hmm. That was like, well, what structure? What? So he doesn't report. And so then this whole idea that Serena is like, wait a minute. So if they don't report up to Gilead proper, then I really am just kidnapped. Because then this isn't really Gilead at all. I think he's some sort of local sympathizer, but maybe not within the black and white power structure. I'm just saying she says... He doesn't report to any of those guys because Serena tries to use Lawrence and all of those as her, you know, shield. All the commanders sent sent me here to do all this work. And Mrs. Wheeler's like, yeah, and those guys mean nothing to us. If those guys mean nothing to you, then who the fuck are you? (laughs) Because uh, y'all are just over here in Canada with putting up big fences and calling yourself Gilead Light over here. And what are you doing? Stealing babies? Well, maybe that feeds into her decision point and probably a question we can discuss. There's just that fire door between you and freedom. Yeah. Your advice was to bide your time and pick an opportunity. Do you, as Serena, see that as the opportunity or or are you like, well, I still need a little more data before I can dash out? You know, as I rewatched the scene of her making the decision to leave, there were several really important moments right before that. So you have the slapping scene that happens before they get in the car to go to the center. Then you have the wheelers standing there at the center saying, like, you need to go home, but you need to leave the baby with us. And in fact, tomorrow we're bringing the baby, but not you. And you need to just pump. And so that now she's just going to become some sort of cow, you know, being pumped over in some room and just sending out the milk bottles. You know, they are consistently cutting her out more and more. Then you see how angry she gets about the lack of a bottle and everything. And she goes over and is like saying things like my, you know, my son is so smart. He's not going to get confused 
between the bottle and and breastfeeding. Like this is Mrs. Wheeler, my son. Mm-hmm. It's so smart, my boy. So smart. <gasps> I mean, you've got all these things that are just like domino stacking, domino stacking. Yeah. So that once the maid comes to her defense and says, "It's my fault. I didn't pack a bottle," and you see the relief on Serena's face, like, "Thank God." And she's like, "There's a quiet room in the back." To me, this a nurse slash maid slash housekeeper slash whatever her exact role is. She is the angel that Serena needs right now. And I'll tell you the moment when she goes to go nurse and she asks if she can be left alone. She's like, sure. She closes the door. But here's the thing. Before she closes the door, she takes the diaper bag off her shoulder and gives it to Serena. That, for all intents and purposes, is a baby's go bag. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So she had I'm sure there was diapers and blankets and all kinds of stuff that she could use She didn't necessarily have to give her that bag. She could have just given her a burp cloth or something and been like, you sit over there and I'll be over here with all the baby stuff. But when she gives her the whole bag, now there's plenty of people who are listening who would say, oh no, there's many things in the bag the breastfeeding mom might need. Yes, I agree. But what I'm trying to say is if that maid wanted to keep her there, she doesn't give her the bag. But in giving it to her, it's like, here's all the stuff you can make it for like a day or two, whether you go or whatever. And the way that the maid just like walks out and she has that smile on her face, like she also witnessed the slapping. She also like saw all this stuff. Like, I feel like that maid is like MVP as far as Serena's concerned, that she like saved her. That maid want to might want to run out the other door. Yeah. What do you think? Not long for this world? I'm afraid she's going to get- I don't know if they get... kill her just in Canada. I mean, she's just an employee. Well, me and you were having all this discussion though last week about like, what is the situation with the staff at the Wheelers? Why would anyone stay there and work for these people? Before we retread any of that, if I were directing the scene in which Serena decides to run away, this is what I would have told Yvonne. Okay. I would have said, imagine what Serena would do to June when she got her home later that day and use that to motivate you out of here. I like that very much. We should talk about the director of this episode. Oh, we should. It's Bradley Whitford. It's Commander Lawrence himself. And this is the very first one that he's directed. And I have to say, I thought he did a beautiful job. I liked how these scenes were set up. I think that... You know, if he did go over and talk to the actors about different things, there's some really great close-ups on, like, Hannah that I felt like were different than just every close-up we've seen on June. There's some variety in in this job that I really liked uh, very much. Great building of tension, say, like, in yeah. the um, Raid Gone Wrong. Mm-hmm. There's great tension there. All of the Serena stuff is also, you're, you're living that moment with her. And wondering when she's going to pick her moment, if she's going to pick her moment. You're never quite sure the whole time. Carol, I noticed the diaper bag on the second watch. But myself, I was, don't, are you going to risk it? You're supposed to wait. You're supposed to wait. But no, she she, she risked it. I don't think you can risk it because nah, you're right. this was you all, can't. it was escalating so fast. I that mean, lady gets you home, you might be chained down. Exactly. Exactly. And so I, just, I think that there was nothing... There was nothing left to go back to the wheelers. Did you expect anyone to stop and like pick her up in the car? I don't think it would have mattered. I mean, she would have just kept going, but it was another woman and uh, another reviewer noticed that she had blue hair. Blue hair to me speaks to sort of a, a free-minded individual that would probably be more like go women. And let's, <laughs> if a woman tells me I, she needs my help, I'm going to just Go with it. And I'm we're trying to go. think, like, would you stop if there was a woman? I mean, certainly you There'd be I... a lot of things going wrong in that scenario. This is a mom with her baby, which is fine. But there's a lot of other things that could be, too. 
So if you're the driver and you see a woman come running with a baby and she's like, please help my baby. I mean, my first instinct is to want to help. And my second instinct is like, oh, my God, am I going to open the door and like 10 guys are going to come running at me or she's going to pull a gun or it's a doll baby and it wasn't really a baby. Or like you said, she stole someone else's baby. This is this is this fertility crisis situation going on you know, around the world. I got to think baby nappings, even amongst non Gilead situations, are still a thing. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they be? So here's my big curious question. Where does Serena tell that woman to drive her to? That is the question of the week. I mean, this is the ninth episode. There's only one more to go this season. Season enders are always a big deal. So what could it possibly be? She only has a couple of contacts in town. And almost immediately, June's house has to be off the board. I mean, Luke is the one that... Called her in, right. Screwed up this whole situation for her. But at the same time, somehow it's like the lowest you could hide the furthest under the radar you could be would be at June's house because who would think that Serena and her baby's at June's house so yes it might be like crazy to talk yourself into that house but once you were in that house that seems like a pretty safe place to go now we've had this ever simmering romance potential between her and Mark Tuello does she run to him somehow I would buy that before just like the American embassy and the american embassy would have to act officially they would have to do whatever official things have to do with mark he'd be put in a tough spot where he's supposed to act officially but we know that there's some attraction there that might cloud his judgment if she if he comes if she comes and makes a personal plea to him to help her figure this out oh yeah and he would know how to help her figure it out if he can offer immunity to like nick I don't know how he can't offer some level of just like, not immunity per se, but something, something, something legal that can keep her in some sort of diplomatic, like just stay. I mean, she had her chance to resettle in Canada and she's, and she turned it down in favor of this resident alien status or whatever it was that she was granted. But to your point about knowing the official ways to deal with it, he would also know the unofficial ways or the ways to sidestep. To me, I don't feel like anything having to do with official ways like matter anymore. Like, because what is official? I mean, everything's up in the air, you know, like we're I mean, America is like dissolving. Like, like there's no official anything. I know we, we try. They try to have these international court kind of situations and said they're trying but i feel like this episode is all about the fraying of relationships between nations and then the strange establishment of relationships that like say gilead is forming like there's so much going on there that i'm like i don't know tuello could probably do quite a bit to hide friends with uh what is it? North Korea, Russia, China, China. Yeah, yeah. All, all the biggies, all the ones you want. So I watched a little thing and Bruce Miller pointed out that they actually went to the UN to talk to them about how does a, quote, pariah nation come back into the fold? How does any of them? And so some of the stuff that we're seeing, we need to understand this is researched. 
This is understood. These are the things that countries would do to come back in when they're have been shunned by the national by the international community. So I think that that's fascinating. It certainly makes me look forward to how this is going to play out in episode 10, but then also all next season, I imagine there's going to be a lot of like, how do they legitimize their standing? Because, you know, there's been plenty of countries who have had to do this on some level, not quite like this, but you understand. Well, and that ties into our ongoing discussion of this series, Endgame. And as we've been saying all season with the knowledge, the foreknowledge of the existence of the Testaments, I think people are going to have to brace themselves for the disappointment that Gilead is going to strengthen by the end of this series, not diminish. Well, and we discussed that. What is a successful ending for The Handmaid's Tale? Is it simply for Hannah and June to be back in the same place at the same time, no matter where that is, including New Bethlehem? Is that a success? Is that a success story? If she lives next door to Hannah and her husband, and they get to hang out every day in their garden, gardening and talking and stuff, success, question mark? I think New Bethlehem is going to, this is just a wild theory with nothing to base it on, but I think it is going to be what gets Lawrence hanged by the end of it. Just oh. it's going to not work spectacularly and it's going to give the other guys enough reason to say that's enough out of you, Joseph. Hmm, fascinating. If, okay. if Naomi doesn't give him rat poison in his tea in the meantime. <laughs> that could definitely happen as well. well. We're jumping around a little bit, so I don't want to go too far. But Serena Joy, I mean, as we leave her in this episode, I mean, she's out of the Wheeler house currently. They made that left turn down that street, schooling away. And who knows where she's going to land. Do you want to put up your guess? Is it June's house? Is it Twilo's house? Or is it somewhere else? I'll go with Mark's house. I'll go with Mark's house. What about you? I think Mark's house. I think so because of the offer, you know, to help her at a different time. And the fact that we saw in the conversation concerning Nick that Mark's offer still stood for Nick, even though he had turned it down in the past. So that makes me feel like, I don't know, maybe the offer that he did make Serena still stands. He certainly has offered it many different times. You know, starting back with the matchbook way back when, you can go to Hawaii kind of thing. Yeah. All the way to now, like but the offer's continuously been made. In all of those cases, she had something to offer. Now, nothing. So, you don't think? No. Well, some insight into the wheelers, what they're up to, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Not enough? Not enough. Okay. All right. So who do you want to move on to next? Well, we have a couple other characters. Let's talk about Commander Lawrence a little bit, where he's at in this story. And my question to you last week about was that CD that was given to June and Luke, was that actually simply this really good-hearted, good-natured, everything's on the up and up, here's a picture of your daughter kind of thing? Or, as June says, Gilead was always one step ahead of us to Mark. I think without saying that he gave us tainted data, they're giving us all the clues to let us know that Gilead knew what they were handing over and they were prepared in case American forces used it. And I don't even think it's in case, like a when they use it. Because like if we give you information about where the wife's school is and your number one handmaid over there, June, wants this girl back... Once we give you this information, we know full well. It's just a matter of when are you crossing the border to come to Colorado? Well, Mark's belief was that the Gilead anti-aircraft batteries were only in a certain place. And then when they got blown up, they said, oh, they moved them. 
<laughs> so that was information that they had from people supposedly working in Gilead, not having anything to do with that CD. Mm-hmm. But I forever I'm going to ask the question, did Lawrence hand June that trap? I believe so. I believe so as well, because I just don't, I think he was just using her desperation, knowing what he was doing. What's interesting to me about that is that while June does acknowledge Gilead's one step ahead, and there is a conversation between her and Lawrence, they never address that, right? She never says like, I know you gave me that CD just because you knew I'd give it to Tuello or what, you know what I mean? Like, there's never any of that. It's all like unspoken. So there's plenty of audience members who are probably watching, maybe doing some laundry, maybe, you know, getting dinner ready, who didn't pick that part up. That like, I really do believe that June understood that she was being used. You know, like they knew that she would go take that right off and trot it off to Mark. And then he would go and order something. And then they would show this huge sign of force that see you try to come over the border look at how much happened from simply giving one woman a cd of her kid you now have this international change of status where now canada is going to be questioning whether they should be allowing america to be using their airspace to go be trying to do raids in another country like this just shook the whole freaking place up (laughs) over handing one woman you know, a little video of this kid. So you got to know that that video meant a lot more and like held a lot more. It was like a dirty bomb waiting to explode over there, right? <laughs> Giant impact, yeah. Truly. So this raid, I mean, we have this setup with this pilot where we actually meet him and learn that he has this daughter, Emma. I mean, as a dad, what did you think about the fact that they had this pilot who was connecting through June with with this daughter story Did you feel like he was absolutely going to die or was this just supposed to be bonding for us? Well, we know that he is the father of the little girl at the end. And so we had to create that through line where he goes off to die for June's daughter. And then June has to try to save his daughter later. It creates a great dramatic kind of twist there. I thought just like on like a, I don't know what you'd call it, like a phonetic note. Um, the fact that he was a commander was interesting. Commander's only a rank in the Navy and, uh, they were well inland, but since the, uh, armed forces may be different than we, than we know now, perhaps they were sending whatever remains of like, say Navy SEALs or something like that. So he could be a commander in the, in the Navy, but, but, uh, yeah, they called him commander. What's his name? Right. Which was weird. Right. It made me bristle. I was like, Ooh, right. The death of this pilot and knowing that he had a daughter, knowing that then that daughter is at the end that that June actually covers with her own body to protect. It really raises the question of how many people should be sacrificed in order to save any one of these children. It's a very high cost. It's becoming a higher and higher cost because we had the angel flight and there was a lot of children that got out on that. But people were sacrificed along the way, right? All along the way, people, there was trouble all along the way, right? People going to the farm, remember all those stuff? I mean, stuff happened all along the way where we were like losing people. So there's a big question mark of how much do you keep pushing as June or Luke to keep getting your child when now you're putting other people's children in a spot where now they don't have parents? You can't, you really can't. You want to feel like that you're doing everything you can, 
But now when you're saying the Pledge of Allegiance with a fatherless child, I think the, the weight of that decision and, and your desires are, are like out of whack. It would get very difficult at some point to be like, yeah, I need more and more people to continue to give up their lives or, or just potentially give up their lives. Well, the fact that this went so wrong that the powers that be will never do this again, anything like this, for sure. Because right. they have, like you said, the new trouble with the Canadian government. They have dwindling resources, right? Access to, to fighting men and women, plus their equipment. That was all just destroyed and shot down right there. Um, they can't have all, a bunch of that stuff laying around because a lot of that was in the lower 48. So what does it mean at this point, though? Because now June has it on her heart that, like, you know, a father got killed and the, and the other pilots got killed. And we can assume they had kids, too. It wouldn't be crazy that they did not. So what does it mean? Like, how does this affect her? How does this affect her judgment of things? Does she continue to ask people to sacrifice themselves? Nope. I think what we've been building to this whole season and we've been dancing around is uh, we got to go back, Kate. Oh, no. <laughs> Feel right. like it's sort of lost back to the island. <laughs> we it, well, were big lost watchers, you guys, back in the day. Well, and and like Westworld, they needed to go back to the park. Lost right. had to go back to the yeah. to the island. It's it's where the show is meant to take have place. everything take place. Right. I agree with you very very much on that front. Okay, so the raid is a debacle, you guys. Horrible, horrible situation. Awful. I think they did a great job of giving us a moment, though, to see Hannah and see what the wives' school actually looks like. What did you think of that little circle of tents and this, like, very serene setting where they were responding very robotically in the, yes, Aunt Paula and all that kind of stuff. But they didn't seem to be in distress. Well, I thought the little tents were cute. I did, too. It was a very sleepover party. And I was very interested to see that Hannah is practicing her handwriting in a secret spot, remembering her name, remembering how to write in that picture book. This is dangerous behavior. This is very dangerous behavior. And she's her, her mother's, mother's daughter. daughter. <laughs> yeah. um, she is. It, it gave me actually quite a bit of hope because what we have said pretty much throughout this entire season and maybe for multiple seasons is Every time that June has tried to interact with Hannah, it's been pretty traumatic, especially the time when she bust into the Mackenzie's home and tried to like kind of snatch Hannah. And that went like dismal. And the way that Hannah was just screaming and everything, it was like, does she know who she is? Is she so brainwashed at this point? Like how they showed us Jaden at the bowling alley saying, I think my dad took me bowling once. I think I liked it. You know, that kind of stuff or not knowing you know, modern music and that or not, it wasn't even modern music, but knowing music and like remembering it from, you know, the past, whatever, however you want to say that. We didn't know where Hannah stood in terms of like, if someone came and got her, was she going to like scream and run away? Between writing her name, between the close-ups on her face, looking up at the sun, looking around more, having this steady, observant, but you could see the cogs going in her head, shots on her made me feel like she was actually doing the like play your part until it's time to run i hadn't thought of that but i like that theory colorado springs is a spot where uh definitely without support you're not going to run far and find anything or make it so that's a good spot for them to have this 
I don't is, actually know. Is it like in the mountains exactly? I don't really know. Yeah, it's mountainous. Yeah. I mean, I know Colorado is mountainous, but you're saying like especially Colorado well, Springs. Is the, there something um, about it? It was the Air Force Academy. Right. Yeah, that's kind of nestled amongst. That's good to know. Mountains. So for audience people, so so extra secure layers, right, for these women. There was something about how they kept having her keep her head up and kept having her look around and you know, they did a lot of like intercut between June's face and Hannah's face. Even the way that she stood kind of in the doorway of her little tent, she looked strong. She looked ready, you know, for something to happen. She didn't look scared. She didn't look meek or like that she couldn't put up a fight. And the fact that she was keeping her little thing, it made me think of June exactly in the closet, carving, you know, the little letters in the wall like yeah. still writing, still keeping like her sense of self. Like there's a whole thing there that comes with an attitude and a spirit behind it. It's not just that she wrote her name. It's that she has the memory and she has the drive to keep doing it. Strong kid. So the aftermath of this raid is that June asks Mark like, okay, basically what next? You know, like what are we going to be able to do next? And this whole concept of bringing Nick into the fold starts now, we asked ourselves last time, is Nick actually like a good enough something to dangle in front of her, like bait wise, to get her to do anything anyone wants? We've seen Lawrence try to use it. We've seen now Mark using it. I really thought that she was like committed to Luke and I really wasn't concerned that she was going to run off with Nick. That's when I said my Canadian boyfriend uh, <laughs> comment. Tell me. I think as they left it that Nick would have been a very powerful draw for her. Now Nick is more complicated. I think she was she was hoping that she was going to be the lure for him the other way around. Right. But now we have Rose. But now we have Rose. She's a real fly in the ointment because she's apparently the daughter of now, it said top commander. I don't know if it's the top commander or a top commander. I'm not exactly positive. But the clear thing to me is that this is somebody way higher up, way higher up, and that she is a child of Gilead. Like she 100% wants to be in Gilead and live Gilead and live this life. So shit, you know, like what is he supposed to do, right? And <laughs> yeah. she's pregnant. We got confirmation. 100% Nick says she is pregnant. I don't I don't know that he's like, you know, burning lust after Rose, but he doesn't want to get killed by your dad and he's got a baby on the way. So these are pretty compelling reasons. If it's not exactly wife love, it is still pretty good reasons for staying in Gilead. I actually think that they do have love between each other. I mean, I know we've only seen them a little bit together, but he seems genuine when he like at least the protector part, the part, the provider, the protector, that portion. When he put his hand on her shoulder and he's like, how are you doing? And she's like better that now that you're here the way that they kind of interact even just talking about june or other things that we've seen earlier in the season i don't get like an arranged marriage awkwardness between them they actually seem like they've talked and they have a good understanding of sort of where everyone stands and what all has happened i do not think rose has any interest in june being their next door neighbor <laughs> i would find it hard to believe that any woman would that'd be threatening in this case wouldn't it i think it would be very threatening so what does that mean though i mean this meetup between nick and june first of all how easily was that to make happen questionably easy. like later today you want right. to meet yeah i can set that up 
And oh. then the next scene is let's just drive out there and meet him. Right. I mean, he's just waiting for us, but whatever. And then they have this back and forth of I love you, I love you. And he does this move, you guys, where he comes in real close to her face, but then he turns and he walks. And she does this like, <laughs> like, <laughs> he was about to kiss me. And we almost kissed. Then I had that sinking feeling of like, oh, shit, she is not done. She can say, I love you, I love you. And it could be like, you know, like, you know, like you were saying earlier, like, was Nick like her Gilead boyfriend too? Like that kind of side of it. Mm -hmm. Where it's like, maybe they did just have that. But this was like, I'm still wanting you. Very freaking different. I don't get that vibe off of her and Luke. She's never like, Luke, you're here at the hospital. <laughs> it's never like that. They don't know. And I know they showed us a sex scene and all that stuff, but still, it's just not the same. It's not the same like electricity or anything that they have. So it made me realize that this entire season really has raised the question of are Luke and June able to stay together? And I know, duh, if you take it individual episode, it's like, yes, obviously they've been going back and forth this whole time. But when you look at it now, episodes one through nine, Holy cow, has this been like a roller coaster ride? It's like, we don't understand each other at all. Now we're totally on the same page. Now we're in a cage and we're apologizing. Now she's yelling at him that you never do anything. Now he's stepping up, but now he's doing it the wrong way. Like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> back and forth, back and forth, you know? And now she wants to see Nick again, you know? It's reasonable to think that Luke doesn't survive this series. Okay, I agree with that. Do you think he makes it through this season? Who dies in the next one, Paul? Since you're going to bring it up. The stakes got to gotta We've ratchet got up. we got to have some people die in episode 10. There has to be a death in episode 10. Like, there has to be. There, right. And there has to be something majorly cliffhangering. We've already done a lot of stuff with June, right? We've shot her. Yeah. We've made her kill a guy by ripping him apart with a gang. Right. Uh, we've made her get kidnapped and we didn't know where she was going. Right. Uh, we've done a lot of stuff. To June. With June, yeah. Right. You can't shoot her again. That doesn't, she's going to live. You know, we, we, that's not a cliffhanger anymore. But you say that, but here's the other thing. The other long term, only sprinkled in a sentence at a time, is some commander, most mostly Commander McKenzie, starting from the beginning, saying, we've got to do something about that June Osborne. And again, if you are Agnes's father, okay? Remember, guys, that's Hannah's name. You're Agnes's father, and you've had her in your life for, I don't know, she was around like four or five when they snatched her. That's when she was placed with them. So she's like, we were saying about 12 now. So they've had her quite a long time. And now actual jets were coming to raid and steal your child away. He's got his own, like, we have got to put a stop to this. Like, I'm sick of this woman stalking this kid. All right. All right, I got gotcha. you. Here's my long-term okay. end of the end of the series theory. All right, uh, I'm sorry, Bruce. If this is what you've already got written down, you can just change it. So that, <laughs> but you could just change it. Here it is. Okay, she's going to be abducted for the purpose of a public execution, even though they are trying to paint themselves in a happier rainbow colored light for the rest of the country. They need to show their people that you cannot fuck with us on this level and get away with it. It's not just going to be on the wall. It's going to be on like the wall that everybody can see the jumbotron wall, but 
that's not going to work. It's going to going to take episodes and episodes to get to this point, right? So this is where like Nick and Luke start to come into play about how are we going to deal with this? Are we going to have like our children raised without mothers and et cetera, et cetera. So maybe that's how we get Luke killed later, trying to rescue her or something like that. I mean, this show isn't about men rescuing women. It is about women saving themselves. But still, you, you can get the attempt, right? So yeah, that's that's where I think it's going to go. I don't know how that ends up exactly, except that I think that June goes into hiding. She Luke gets, ends up dead. Nick probably ends up dead. Do you think she gets abducted in the next... Wait, when you said she, anyway, you, you should have said a name. June. June gets abducted. Yeah. Okay, now... We have the shooting that happens at that American Soldier Memorial for the for the people who have passed who were on that raid. Yeah. And in that we have Canadian protesters that are in the crowd. Boobirds. And then we have people who are shooting at the American flag. Now, that could be Canadian disruptor people shooting at the American flag. Could. But it very well could be this hit out on June that we feel like that the Mackenzies most certainly would have wanted to go through. They've been talking about it this whole time, right? So, I mean, that's a reasonable theory that shots went right for her. Yeah, a thousand percent. And shot up the flag, which hurt my heart. I hope it hurt your heart, too. I don't like to see our flag shot up. No matter what, you guys, you know, it's election season and I know everybody's got their their own Um, political parties and all that good stuff. But still, there's something at the end of the day that seeing like our flag get ripped apart or or anything like that. I mean, it still pulls on my heartstrings, no matter all the chaos that comes around elections and politics and all that kind of stuff. It's there's still something at the end of the day where you can like kind of push away all the people that have to do with it and just feel like we're still Americans, you know? It made me wonder if they kept the camera on for five more seconds. What would have happened with that American mob? Were they going to flee or they be like, you fucking Canadians and just turn around? And it would have been like, and start you know, punching Thunderdome in there. Anything. Yeah. Or was someone going to walk closer to June? Like, and like anything, right? Because yeah. she covered up the, the pilot's daughter, Emma. Having said that, who do you think is abducting June? Is it going to be some sort of like disruptor person in this crowd who would be stalking and, and snatching her? Is it the long arm of Gilead that somehow reaches her and snatches her? Yeah, I think foreign agents, either they, I mean, we know that Wheeler has goons locally, Mm -hmm. so they could be contracted or they could actually have foreign espionage type type agents, you know. Well, we definitely know there's there's a presence, right? type, but whatever Gilead would be. Right. Some of our episodes have ended and picked up again right after the previous episode, with this one ending on shots ringing out, what would give you a satisfying beginning to episode 10? I mean, for me, it would pick up right there. I think that's right. I think that we would have to be right in the thick of it right then. I mean, I think of it at the end of like Fred's death, how we like picked up just right with them, like coming out of the woods kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It feels like it needs to be like that. Like we need to see more of what exactly is going on. If they don't do that, then I will be curious how they kind of, are they just going to segue? Like are people going to continuously bother June specifically? And was that even, we don't even really know if that was specifically at June or was it at the flag or was it at the ceremony or was it at Americans in general or, or maybe it's just to flesh her out. Right. Maybe. You know? Maybe. Although the McKenzie's might be behind that particular move, another commander who is known for making long game strategies is Lawrence. I think it's interesting that 
Bradley Whitford directed this episode. And this combined with some of last episode is the most that Commander Lawrence has exposed about himself, his motivations, his feelings, just his true self without the snark, without the sarcasm, without the biting tongue. Some of it was there, obviously. Yes, it was there. Right. But the stuff with June on the phone was unshielded for a lot of it. Yeah, he definitely, you know, still has that deep cross to bear with everything that happened with Eleanor. And, you know, it's easy to forget that connection that June and Lawrence had concerning Eleanor and the fact that, that you know, he was relying on June a lot to try to kind of take care of her for periods of time. Remember, she was like the only one who could talk to Eleanor. Remember, they were mm -hmm. like go on a walk and stuff like there was a lot going on there that it's easy to forget that they had this bond from a long time ago and that he still thinks that Eleanor would want him to help June and Hannah in that whole situation. So you're right. You know, this was very raw. We've got we actually got some like tears. He was actually really uncomfortable the, about this whole like quote unquote proposal with Naomi. Like, I mean, he like stood on the other side of the wall and like listened to the remainder of that conversation. And uh, I mean, Lydia and Naomi, that whole thing. I mean, that was excellent, excellent dialogue. But just the awkwardness of he's like, you and your kid can stay here. And Lydia's like, maybe we could say your intentions a little more clearly. <laughs> like, oh, my favorite line had to be, he had Warren killed. And then Lydia says, but he's willing to overlook that. <laughs> and so should you. <laughs> right? Oh, Lydia. <laughs> well, you know what, though? Here's the deal. When Naomi shows up, this is just how backwards and scary and weird this world is that they live in. Naomi comes in and she thinks she's being sent to the colonies. Like, she's terrified. Mm. And then she thinks it's a real estate issue. That, like, oh, it's about how big my house is. Oh, okay, well, I could just do, like, a little, like, condo kind of situation. They're like, no, this isn't about that either. Then it's about, oh, my gosh, both of our spouses have died. And so now we need to be, like, putting up this front. And it's, I mean, her head went, like, I'm going to the colonies. Oh, I'm moving. I should pack. No, wait, I'm getting married. Like, it's like, ah, yeah. what is happening? We've seen where some people had the belief that Lawrence's wedding ring in a later scene suggested that they had already gotten married off screen. I didn't get that impression. I don't think that that's true. Aunt Lydia wouldn't still be there. She wouldn't have had to be there chaperoning her. Right. I think she was chaperoning a single woman. Yes, that's what I thought. So too. yeah, I, I think that that's what that conversation was about. It's more like in stating intentions by putting his hand on her. I actually read a lot of things that were from people who had lost a spouse and what they did with their wedding ring. And a lot of people actually choose to move it from one hand to the other. And they still wear it even when they get remarried. Hmm they choose to still honor their spouse by wearing it on the other hand. Interesting. I didn't know. I, it's not something that I have considered, like, what would you do? How do you handle that kind of stuff? So I don't think it's weird that he's still wearing the ring at all from, from Eleanor. Although I got to say, one thing that did catch my eye, and this is just a super silly thing, him and Eleanor would have been married for a long time, and that ring was sparkly, shiny, brand new. Now, that's just a really a set deck kind of choice or a wardrobe choice of it not, like, brushing it making it look old you know like the fact that it was like shiny gold like really seemed like huh they're supposed to be married like a long time in this sort of like weird medieval dark house that they lived in <laughs> i don't know that he's like shining up his jewelry on the regs but maybe he's a dapper guy who wears an ascot maybe he cares maybe he does clean his jewelry regularly you know we podcasted about this whole 
show. We did. Do you recall what our theories were about Eleanor's condition? Holy smokes. Because I don't, but... Well, that she had she had some sort of... They said that she had some sort of mental health issues that required medication. But because they were living this Gilead life, she didn't have access to her medication. So whether it was like bipolar or whether it was something else, anxiety, what have you, depression, I'm not exactly sure. But I remember that the fact that they couldn't do medication because they were living this like organic life, which is really super crazy in terms of like, these two were not trying to have children. So it's sort of like, why couldn't Eleanor be taking medication? You know what I'm saying? Like there was nothing having to do with it. That's where all of this comes down to like, it's all just smoke and mirrors because you could say everyone needs to live this very organic life and no one should take any medications and all that kind of stuff. And I get that from this fertility point of view or whatever, but she was this older woman who had nothing to do with this fertility plan right you know like she should have been able to take stuff but they just had this overarching rule that no one was to get any medical help like that in this episode it was kind of spelled out that he broke her mentally and i guess do you remember the scene where she had to sit in there while lawrence had to have sex with yeah a handmaid and that was when she lost her last bit of like sensibility like she couldn't she just bawled her eyes out yeah yeah i do remember that, that. was the breaking that was horrible. I mean, she her heart just broke in half. So then it's it's plausible then that you combine a woman that might be predisposed to needing mood-altering drugs to maintain a normal life. Mm -hmm. You throw in that her husband overthrows the government and turns it into Gilead. And in this new government that your husband created, you can't get your meds that keep you on an even keel anymore. Right. And you have to witness him raping another woman due to the government that he designed right so you throw all that into one smoothie maker mm -hmm. and you wind up with eleanor lawrence yeah okay. and, and i think that we all had tons of empathy for eleanor what did you think about june like you know really saying like i like she was dying and i watched her and i didn't help her she was tired of Lawrence fucking with her. And so she ripped off a scab and just shoved her finger in it. Ooh. Trying to create a visceral response. <laughs> that's pretty gruesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's exactly what I think she accomplished in that. What do you think at the end here when Lawrence is like, is asking like, I need you to go step out and say that this was a foolish aggression towards Gilead. I mean, what? Did he really think she was going to do that? He was really hoping she would do that. Otherwise he wouldn't have said so. See, I don't know. I think that's one of those things where you like, you go so far, but you were always willing to take much, much less. See, like, why don't you go out on a public stage and tell everyone that America should not have done this? Oh, no, that's too far. Okay, just move to New Bethlehem. He didn't expect her to counter with, I watched your wife die. No, he didn't expect <laughs> that. But you know what? He maintained that he was still going to help her, supposedly. But when he said it's not going to happen, like mm -hmm. Hannah's never going to be free, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I gotta say my mom heart pretty much exploded because there's something about the whole that promise of New Bethlehem that was going to be this unspoken I know we're not free but can we all just not say that out loud can we all just come here and act like we did this of our own accord so therefore we're quote unquote free and when she said, I want Hannah to be free, and he said, not going to happen, that part was like, you just shattered the whole illusion of New Bethlehem. 
because then it's just a different prison. I can't say it any better than that. Well, we've got the big finale of this entire season. What is like a must-see situation for you? I must see, A, where Serena went, and it's got to drive me into wanting to know more about Serena next season. Something where, yes, she went somewhere, but she's still not safe and compelling her to continue to act. This intertwining of those two female characters is, I think, key to one of the central pillars of tension of this whole story. Right now, they're pretty far apart. No reason to get back together, unless, of course, she winds up at Luke's house. But I don't think that's going to be the case. But still, you got to get them together, maybe next season. So that's that. See, I could I could very much see the cutting off of Lawrence and sort of being like, what next? Like, I could very much see those two women colluding in the house with Nicole. I mean, if my and abduction Noah and do- everything. doesn't work out, then it's possible, although I don't think it would go this way. It's possible that Serena, for as little as she may be an asset to the remainder of the American government politically, yeah. she could be an asset to June in terms of she still knows how Gilead works on a wife level that June never would know. And I've got to say, there is no part of Serena that has been anything but sharp and cunning and getting shit done. I mean, she is the one who has withstood quite a few different scenarios that she has managed to wriggle out of every time. Again, I'm going to say it over and over again. They're never going to be friends. But at the same time, there's that frenemy kind of feel of like, we have very similar needs. We need our children to be free. Now, here's one thing, though. Serena actually just needs to go somewhere. She could just go to Europe or go away, go move to Australia, go do something like that, right? In theory. Non-extradition com- country would be great. I don't know where that is exactly, but she could. But I think that the draw of the power of Gilead is like this invisible tie around her that is not like her ego, her freaking mania for like the need of power and control and stuff like even though she could slip into the night at this point, like I don't see that woman doing that. No, I think it comes back to the biggest sparks dramatically on screen are when Yvonne and Elizabeth are on screen. Right. So she's not going anywhere yet. No, I totally agree. Okay, so is there anybody else? Okay, so do you care about this Luke, June, Nick triangle biz at all? Or is it at this point, like, I mean, to me, I didn't know she still had that much, like, passion for Nick. I know, I'm being foolish, whatever, that, that, but when she did that, I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. He makes her bird twitch. (laughs) That's for those of you who watch Righteous Gemstones. There you go. I was surprised. I was really surprised, you know, and I know they had a passionate love affair and I know that they had a whole lot of like working together and and trusting each other, you know, to the ends of the earth here. I know I just didn't quite expect that. But what it did kind of show me is it really put a mirror up to Luke and June and how boring and lack of passion that they really have at the end of the day. Because when you saw Nick and June on, on the screen, you were like, damn. That's it. (laughs) Right, right. You know? And so it was like, shit, Luke. (laughs) I don't know what you're going to do. Now, we've got a bunch of other characters that we haven't even dabbled with in so long. I stand by my June being abducted theory. Okay. Um, I like like some. I mean, we got to put people in peril at the end. 
it'd be nice if we continued to just get a nudge of Lydia toward her self that she will need to be become be become she will need to become in the testaments and we haven't seen Janine in a while so maybe that's part of that just a nudge just a scene we got it but we got to go back to that stuff right we've got to get back to some of that stuff. where's Esther like right. we got to get back to some of that story, just right? A, just, just a, a pinch. Just to wrap up some yeah. things. There's got to be we haven't something. Seen them in episodes now. It feels that way. So it's like we got to do something with them. I don't know how much time we can give them, but I mean, I think we all agree that the most tantalizing parts of the show is really Gilead and what's going on in Gilead. Like I don't want to watch a lot of Canadian protesters. I do want to figure out how the hell Esther or Janine or Lydia or Naomi or Rose or any of them are going to get out of the situation that they're all in. Like, what are they going to do? I want to spend some time with them. Yeah, the story's got to move back to Gilead. That's where it's all started, right? As as Lawrence says, right? Gilead's going to Gilead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is Caroline. And this is Paul. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that other people can find it too. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.